0: hello hello you're listening to the stew my name is Jason Stewart this is my food podcast today we have a special episode it's not like the normal stew where Andre and my brother and I sit around and drink wine and talk about weird things in the food world this episode was recorded live from the food book fair in New York last weekend I want to say thanks to Nick Morgan Stearns from Morgan Stearns ice cream for setting it all up and Chris black and James Ellis from public announcement podcast for helping me record everything. We will be back next week with a normal version of the stew. So I hope you enjoy this quick little one, even though it's not a normal episode. We have some really big guests. Um, Carrie diamond. She's from cherry bomb magazine. They're a, uh, I think a quarterly or a biannual magazine uh, that's like this. This issue has uh, Martha Stewart on the cover. We have Julia Sherman. She wrote a cookbook called Salad for President. They just interviewed her on KCRW's Good Food podcast. Andrea Gentile. She's a, a classic photographer from New York that does a lot of food stuff. She's really, really cool. Dana Cowan from Food and Wine magazine. Top Chef. Uh, Definitely a heavy hitter in the food game. Mac Malachowski from Mouthfeel Magazine. It's this really cool magazine that's basically a gay food magazine that looks cooler than any other magazine I've seen in a long time. He's really awesome. Liz Pruitt from Tartine Bakery in San Francisco. She just put out a new cookbook, and we we had a chat about her being gluten-free and and all that stuff. Yeah, all that stuff. That's what you do when you're a, a baker. Amy Chaplin, she's a a cookbook author from Australia, who's really cool, and uh, she will teach you a lot of interesting things about natural whole foods and brown rice cooking methods and sprouting and all kinds of things. Nick Morgenstern uh, himself sat down, you know, he's the classic New York ice cream, of a man. He's almost as tall as I am and he has like a cool motorcycle and ladies love him and he makes arguably the most interesting ice cream flavors in the world right now. Just really, really thoughtful, wild combos going on. And also a friend of the show and just a personal friend of mine, Elliot Foos, who, uh, he lives in New York. He's a, he's a youngster who I befriended at his coffee shop he was working at. He's a really, really knowledgeable coffee bro. And we had a quick chat about that. So I hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. You can go to thestewpodcast.com, where all the episodes live. And you can follow me on social media, at themjeans, if you want to do that. Thanks, guys. Bye.
1: My name is Julia Sherman, and I am the author of Salad for President, a cookbook featured at the, cook- the food book fair. Mm.
0: I've heard of this book before. I haven't read it, but yeah, I've heard of it. I know, but I've, I've seen photos of the cover. I don't know where I saw it. Maybe on Instagram or something, probably. Um, so this is just the first stop in your press tour for this book, I'm sure. <laughs> and you live in L.A., right? Oh, you live here. Oh, right. I need to put the mic in front of me. <laughs> okay. What bite of food makes you the most happy? It's a tough one.
1: It's a really tough one. I think uh, ceviche.
0: Ceviche? What type of fish specifically?
1: Well, I mean there's so many different kinds. It would have to be ceviche in Peru. So like no crappy tilapia or anything like that. Like,
0: so not a shitty one?
1: Not a shitty ceviche. A non-shitty ceviche.
0: So a high dollar from the fish market, really good ceviche. You put avocado in there? No. Red onion or, or shallot?
1: Red onion, a little red onion, lime juice, chilies, olive oil. That's the kick.
0: Olive oil. Like a real neutral one or like a real bitter, gnarly one?
1: Real bitter, fragrant, like olive oil. I had this ceviche in Mexico once and uh, they, they finished it with a ton of olive oil and salt and it was the best thing I've ever had.
0: There we go. Okay. What ingredient do you find yourself overusing the most?
1: anchovies every salad dressing they go on crackers they go in pasta sauces they go in uh, like marinades they go pretty much everywhere except for dessert
0: so are you are you're you're putting them in whole you're putting them in the mortar and pestle and you're squishing them up into a sauce.
1: Uh, I only eat them whole if they're really good ones, like I bought these ones at Despanya yesterday that are called Don Bacarte. They're the ones they have at Mission Chinese and they're um, the dish they have that's fresh pita and anchovies and um, like a kefir butter. And they have like no fishiness and they're really, really soft, they almost melt in your mouth. Uh, otherwise, if they're like you're kind of off the shelf normal anchovies and putting them in a more in pestle or... I'm cooking them, just kind of letting them break down.
0: I agree. I also love an anchovy. It adds a lot of uh, depth of flavor to a dish, eh? I'm gonna say umami, I was not going to say umami. <laughs> it's very hard in this day and age to avoid saying the word umami. Have you found that? Yeah. Is there, is there a food word that you're trying to phase out because you say it too much?
1: I feel creepy saying umami. I don't like saying it. I feel like it sounds like yummy, which I also really don't like.
0: I also hate when people say food is yummy. How do you feel about moist?
1: I, I wish people would stop making a big deal about moist. It's like such a predictable thing to have an issue with. I think yummy more, bec- more, more is more disturbing because it's been used in to describe things that are not edible. Those shoes are yummy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> or, like, or like the fabric or something. It's so that cashmere. Or
0: like describing like a shirtless man or something.
1: No not no inanimate objects
0: got it and also it has a little bit of a like you would say a a food is yummy when it actually isn't yummy and you're just trying to be nice you're like oh yummy yeah it's a it's an empty it's an empty
1: word
0: how do you feel about mouthfeel the word
1: i'm into that yeah it seems almost clinical
0: i'm getting a good portrait of of your overall vibe right now and it's very impressive what is a dish that you make everyone loves it all your friends love it you don't really get the big deal. You're kind of sick of making it, but every time you have a dinner party, you got to make it.
1: It's a really good question. Nobody I wouldn't say I'm sick of it of any of my I wouldn't make it if I was sick of it. Oh, shit. There is something. So there was this cake from the Baby Cakes cookbook, like the first cookbook. I think they did more than one, maybe. I don't know. And it was this black bean carob cake. And it had tahini and dates and black beans and carob. And you pulsed it all together in a food processor. And it it, it was like a facsimile of a, of a chocolate cake, but... Highly disappointing, I found out later, to everybody I was serving it to because they thought they were having chocolate cake, and actually what they were having was mashed up black beans and carob masquerading as chocolate cake. I personally thought it was incredibly delicious, and I made it every single party until one of my really good friends, Jillian cracked and just begged me to never serve it again because that nobody had the heart to tell me that it they didn't think it was good and they much preferred chocolate cake
0: On paper that cake sounds very disappointing
1: I swear it's really good. It was like the black beans don't have any flavor. They just give texture and like the denseness. I mean, I understand that if you're in you're in the market for a chocolate cake and you get anything even related to a bean, you might be a bit upset. But um, I, I was very upset. To-
0: Unless it's a uh, a coffee bean or a cacao bean.
1: Right, right, right. I mean, like a a cooked bean, yeah. I mean, I think I was just upset to think back on all the previous occasions that I had made this cake, which was also quite laborious and very expensive when you tally up the ingredients of like a million dates, really good tahini, carob, then there was like 10 different flowers I had to get from like a special store or whatever, and that I could have gotten done like a $5 Dunkin' Hines and people would have kissed my ass for the rest of my life.
0: I got that. Okay. What is the lowest moment of your career?
1: Oh, shit. Oh, I can't say it out on this though. (laughs) No, I have to think of something that won't offend someone. Uh,
0: <laughs> maybe like a slightly low like what's a, one of your most favorite speed bumps of your career
1: i can't i don't know wait i'm thinking have you
0: been recently hospitalized anything good like that i'm just kidding <laughs>
1: to offend people because there's always other people involved
0: have you found that people in the food world are overly cautious about offending their uh, their peers and and coworkers
1: no i think people talk a lot of shit
0: but i mean i'm talking publicly <laughs>
1: Uh, Yeah, probably. I mean, it's like anything. It's a small community, and I think everybody knows that we're all working really hard, so don't be a dick.
0: That's fair. Okay. Which chef do you admire the most, dead or alive?
1: I think Angela Demiuga, who is the chef at Mission Chinese, who's a friend. So it's creepy to say that I admire her.
0: Wait, what's her Instagram handle?
1: Swimsuit Issue.
0: I recently followed her.
1: The best. But uh, I really appreciate... She's incredibly creative and really, like, turned on and conscious of every single ingredient or everything that comes or, like, little element of decor or ambiance that she sort of filters through and reimagines in her own really unique way. So I think her energy... My background's as an artist, and I really, like... I'm way more... I'm, I align myself with sort of, like, her approach to things, uh, but I'm totally... Amazed at how, I mean, what a good cook she is. So,
0: great answer. I know you have an idea of what kind of a cookbook author you are. What do you think other people perceive you as to be actually?
1: Well, it depends what people. I think, like, it's there's probably a, fa- a faction of food people who think that if you're not a chef and you don't have a restaurant, you have no business writing a cookbook. Which, um,
0: save that one for your therapist.
1: No, I'm cool with it. I uh, actually, I I don't mind it. And I think it's a totally valid point, but I just wrote a cookbook, so whatever. (laughs) What are you going to do about it? There's room for everyone.
0: I agree with that. In the kitchen, what is your most treasured possession?
1: Oh, my mortar and my pestle, which was my mother-in-law's mom. So um, it's a really simple stone mortar and pestle, but I really love it, and I use it every single day. And then I also have this really big enamelware pot that I found at this this uh, used cookware store in San Francisco that's amazing. And um, carried it back on the plane which was really insane thing to do because it's like a jumbo stock pot. And then uh, I also have a Ristra which is like the long string of dried chilies from New Mexico that are used to adorn do- doorways but also you use them every day. So I cook with it every day but it's also like my like coolest piece of decor and it's like five to six feet long, and I also carried that back uh, in the overhead compartment of the... This
0: is like a five to six foot long chili that hangs by your door, like a like a Azusa thing?
1: Did oh, so you call it an Azusa? Oh, I thought you called it an Azusa, and I was like, whoa, we got, this is going to be a longer conversation.
0: I'm not Jewish, if you couldn't tell.
1: I am. I'm offended. Um, it's, uh, no, it's long. It's huge. You know, it's like a, ch- a string of dried chilies.
0: Oh, oh, so it looks like a... Like a, like a little Chinese firecrackers.
1: Yes, except for it's gigantic.
0: Jewish firecrackers.
1: <laughs> and we're out.
0: Okay, final question. If you were to be recreated as an inanimate object, non-living, what would it be?
1: I like the living option better. I think I'd be... This is a hard quest.
0: Okay. If you want to do living, you can do living. Just don't say you're a cat.
1: No, I wouldn't be a cat. I'm definitely um, a weasel or a, or a squirrel.
0: Yo I'm definitely a weasel just out of the gate first thing.
1: I've had this conversation a lot with my friends, but I like I'm you know move really fast. I'm constantly putting things in my mouth and I'm sort of like everywhere at the same time.'
0: I, don't, I would say it I haven't known you for long, just a few minutes, but you don't seem weaselly.
1: Well, not weasely in like the sense in the like character. I think weasels get a bad rap. They're more just like they're crafty and they're kind of like you know
0: crafty, scrappy, you, you get in, you get the job done. And you look good doing it. Yeah. Svelte, well dressed. A lot of nuts in the <laughs> nuts in the cheek.
1: Ample cheeks.
0: Ample cheeks. You do have ample cheeks.
1: Straighter. I think that she probably. I don't. They don't necessarily look exactly like a weasel, but I act like one or some small rodent. A small rodent.
0: I'm saying you could be furrier.
1: Yeah, I could be furrier.
0: Thank you so much for doing this.
1: <laughs> I guess, thank you.
0: If, if people want to find you online, what's your Twitter, Instagram, something like that?
1: Uh, my Instagram is salad for president, just one word. And then for some reason, my Twitter is salad number four president, but it's like too late to go back. So maybe just follow me on Instagram because I'm a bad tweeter.
0: Ooh, I I suddenly have like a, I want to talk to you about salads kind of, but now I need to think of a good, okay, what's, what's your favorite? alternative crouton.
1: Oh, I make polenta croutons. They're like a lot of work, but if you make the polenta with tomato juice and broth and then you, you spread it on a sheet pan really thin, not really thin, like an inch and a half. They're, recipe is in my book, if you might want to check that out. And, uh, and you cut it up into cubes and then you bake those. Those are like badass croutons.
0: Hell yeah. Thank you so much. Well, later on, we'll talk more about salads. I appreciate it.
2: Hi, my name's Carrie Diamond. I'm the editorial director of Cherry Bomb Magazine.
0: So we're doing, uh, we're doing some Proust questions, food-related, as you know. So we're just going to fire it off.
2: What bite of food makes me the happiest? Cookie dough.
0: Cookie dough raw.
2: Raw cookie dough, yes.
0: And you're okay with eating eggs?
2: I've, I've never had an issue eating raw cookie dough. Made yet. with eggs. I haven't died yet. Okay, good. The ingredient I overuse is avocado. I know avocado is super trendy, but in every possible form. A schmear, pour, I do like a poor man's, what I call a poor man's guacamole, where I just mash it up with a little lime and salt. What's a dish you make that everyone loves, but you don't get it? I would never make anything that I don't love. Is that an answer? A quality you love most in a coworker? Be specific. <laughs> <laughs> A quality I love most in a coworker. Can it be any coworker? Do you want me to name the coworker? Yes. Okay. Uh, Donna Yen, who is uh, an editorial assistant at Cherry Bomb, is so tenacious. I love tenacity. It Are is a tenacious, fantastic trait. Tenacious yourself? I admire people who have tenacity as a trait because I probably need to be more tenacious. And I and I always tell people, it's like you send one email, you can't just do that. Like you have to send more than one But I'm the first one to be like... (laughs) Let's get this done in (laughs) one. The lowest moment of your career. Oh, been so many. The lowest moment of my career. This was a low point. I was assistant to a great guy named Legs McNeil, who wrote a book called Please Kill Me, The Oral History of Punk Rock. And I was an intern at Spin Magazine, but Legs decided that we would work out of his apartment uh, on St. Mark's Place. So... I get to his apartment. He had to leave. Legs had a snake, a big snake in a big glass aquarium thingy. And Legs was always kind of broke and never had enough money to feed the snake. So the snake, I'd be in the apartment by myself doing research and stuff, and the snake would always be like whacking itself against the side of the glass. Mm-hmm. And it was terrifying. And I would like flee and go work out of like, I don't know, Chennai or one of the places in the neighborhood. So one day, I get in there, Legs is like, I got to go, and he leaves. I sit down on the couch, and I sat on the snake. It was in a pillowcase. Legs was cleaning out the aquarium and forgot to put the snake back in the aquarium. I literally jumped so high, I almost hit the ceiling, and fled the apartment.
0: You didn't injure the snake. Did you kill the snake?
2: I did not kill the snake. The snake might have taken a few years off my life, so.
0: Oh, that's good. And I like that. That's the lowest moment of your career. (laughs) All right. Which chef do you admire the most? Dead or alive?
2: Uh I would have to say my business partner, Robert Newton. He uh
0: You kinda you have to say that though.
2: I do I do have to say that, but I do admire him. I mean when you when you really when you get to work with a chef really closely and see how hard they work and what they do.
0: So is he like the chef for Cherry Bomb or
2: I co own some restaurants in Brooklyn.
0: How many is um... some? <laughs> Three. Rattle them off for our listeners.
2: Uh, Nightingale 9, a Vietnamese-influenced place. Uh, Smith Canteen a so coffee shop with great food. And Wilma Jean, which is a southern spot.
0: All right. If I were to go, if I only had a chance to visit one because I'm on a tight New York City schedule, what would it be and what should I order?
2: I would go to Nightingale 9, and honestly, you could get anything. It's, uh, I love Vietnamese food, and so is Rob. So selfishly, that's why we opened that restaurant.
0: Is Rob himself Vietnamese?
2: Rob is not. Rob just happens to love Vietnamese food. and.
0: One of those guys. I get it. Next question. How would you like to die?
2: I would like to die in my sleep. Uh, yeah, I would like to die in my sleep, maybe around the age of like 85. I've actually thought about this.
0: 85, a good run. Not too old. You right. still have your wits about you. Are there drugs involved?
2: Hopefully. Hopefully, some good edible chocolates. I don't know.
0: I got some in the up in the in the hotel room. If you want,
2: you don't want to live so long that that you outlive your friends and your family
0: and your body itself. You don't want to just be like, Ugh. okay, that's a good age to die. Knock on wood that you die that that age. Okay, this is more of a Chevy question, so I'll, I'll 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 alter it to a restaurateur, publisher. the question is: What kind of chef do people actually think you are? So people actually think you are a chef.
2: Sometimes people think I'm a chef, even though I've done nothing to put that idea out into the world or in people's brains. But yeah, I think some people just think because anybody who's in food is a chef, but it's not true.
0: You don't look like a chef. You look like a publisher or restaurateur. Don't look at the questions. Okay, what is your most treasured possession in the kitchen? Vitamix?
2: My most treasured possession in the kitchen, I have these two potholders that I've had since the 90s that came from one of Target's first collaborations with Cynthia Rowley.
0: You got the Rowleys?
2: Yes. I got the Rowleys. They are-
0: Name a price. I'll buy it now.
2: They are kind of gaudy, but they are so well made and I just can't part with them. They don't match my style at all, but I am just inexplicably attached to these potholders.
0: Mental note to uh, Google image search these potholders because I need to see them for myself. Uh, okay, final question: If you were to be recreated as an object, what would it be? Kitchen object. If you if you want, otherwise you can just say in general.
2: I was gonna say a cat.
0: <laughs> not non-living. Non-living.
2: Oh, a cat's not an object. Cat can't be an objet. Objet. I would want to come back as a pink Smeg refrigerator.
0: Pink Smeg refrigerator. Is that like an old like 50s classic fridge? or
2: It's kind of meant to look like that, but it's a little, uh, yeah, it's meant to look a little bit retro, but it's, I don't know, they're just, they're fun, they're colorful, they're slim, I guess all the things I'd like to be or think I am.
0: I love a slim fridge, just really room for nothing. It only fits green onions.
2: <laughs> or raw cookie dough.
0: What a wonderful closing moment. Thank you so much for doing this. If you want to give a shout out to anyone, what's your Twitter? What's your Instagram?
2: Uh, My Instagram account is Carrie Bomb. That's K-E-R-R-Y-B-O-M-B-E. I see what you did there. And uh, you can follow Cherry Bomb at Cherry Bomb Meg.
0: Cool. Thank you so much. Check, check. Yeah, you're very, very streepy now that it's coming together. I want to see you walking down the sidewalk arm in arm with Alec Baldwin, perhaps. Is that something that you would be interested in doing?
3: And um, Alec Baldwin, maybe, maybe not.
0: I'm going to be holding the mic and just throwing it in your direction, so sorry about that. Please introduce yourself and how people would know you.
3: I am Andrea Gentle. I'm a photographer. I live in New York. Uh, I shoot food, lifestyle, travel with my husband, Martin Hires. We go by the team of Gentle and Hires, and we've been doing this for about 25 years. So-
0: Gentle and Hires has a real Salino and Barnes feel to it. How do you feel about that?
3: It has a what?
0: A real Salino and Barnes feel.
3: I mean, a lot of people think we're actually English men, two men, so. Kind of-
0: you don't dabble in law.
3: No, definitely not.
0: Fair. Okay. These are going to be a little bit more on the chefy food side of questions. I'll try to tailor them to your photography. But you also eat food, I'm assuming. Okay, what bite of food makes you the happiest?
3: Oh, definitely a big piece of salty pecorino.
0: A big piece of salty pecorino. So, just like taking a bite out of a hunk?
3: Yes, definitely a bite out of a hunk, like a knife in the wheel, take a big chunk, yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. And it's not too salty for you?
3: No, I love salt. Not too salty.
0: Great answer. Okay. In the kitchen, when you're cooking yourself, what is an ingredient that you find yourself overusing, perhaps?
3: Maybe I overuse honey or chili. I'm definitely a honey hoarder. I pick honey up wherever I go. I have maybe 50 different kinds of honey. From Mexico, Burma, Bhutan, everywhere I go, I find honey.
0: Honey hoarder,
3: but but then again, my children say that I definitely overused ramps, and they don't like to go in our refrigerator or show their friends inside of our fridge. They feel like it looks like a witch's cabinet. We have ramp in there. We have um, things fermenting, like fermented matsutake. Yeah, they're disgusted by the refrigerator.
0: I love this lifestyle where like the kids are like, oh, mom, ramps again.
3: Yeah, they are. They said too much ramp. Like their friends joke, if we come to our house, are they going to have like ramp ice cream? But no, I don't go that far.
0: You're just like basically painting my dream childhood.
3: Well, you always want the house where the kids come. And you can draw them in with food for sure. So they would go out to parties. They would call me and tell me when they were coming home. And I would throw in a roast chicken and mashed potatoes and make a flourless chocolate cake you know and maybe there was some ramp in there too and maybe some other weird stuff but i tried to get them to come to our house because i wanted them to, i could lure them with food
0: i feel like i'm going to cry because this if i was a, if i was a teen and my my mom did that for me and then all of all of your children's friends must have loved coming over after the party
3: yeah they loved it and we made them breakfast the next morning and i have a lot of connections with them that you know are related to food and food memories my son, he definitely is addicted to sugar, and I find like a lot of uh, Sour Patch in his pockets, and that's really sad to me, but he's going to come to terms with that eventually.
0: I like that some people are like, yeah, my child has like a crippling uh, Oxycontin addiction, and you're like, I found some Sour Patch, and we need to talk.
3: Yeah, we definitely need to talk because he does get migraines, and it's definitely food-related, but he's going he's gonna to figure that out.
0: What is, a, uh, what is a dish, maybe for your kids, what's a dish... That you, your kids always want you to make. You don't get it. You're sick of making it, but they they just always ask you for it.
3: Well, they always want me to make a ragu, so I like to do that. I'm Italian. My grandmother always made a ragu, so I do the three meats. I do the veal, the pork, the beef. Um, they love that.
0: Like a little Sunday gravy? Yeah,
3: Sunday gravy, but we never called it gravy in my family. I think that's more like a Jersey thing. had like, you know, sauce.
0: You just call it straight-up sauce.
3: Sauce, yeah, but... Um, Another thing that I like to make for them is like a really fiery, gingery chicken soup. And I make that maybe once a week. It's really good for them.
0: Okay, so you lean heavy on the ginger.
3: Yeah, I do. Maybe that's my ingredient that I use too much of. Yeah, that could be. Yeah.
0: Okay, you said, so you work with your husband. What is a work-related quality that, you, that he has that you love the most?
3: Well, he's amazing with people. He's great on a conference call. Um, he's super friendly. He has problems remembering people's names, but he can always like, see someone and know that uh, he's had some conversation with them. It doesn't matter. He dives right back in, figures it out. My kind of guy. Really, really good.
0: You saying that would lead me to believe that you're not good with people, but you seem like you're very good with people.
3: Well, I, maybe I don't seem quiet today. Maybe I had too much coffee, but um, I'm kind of the quiet sort of person on set. And he's really the one that interacts with clients, but I think that maybe I drive a lot of the behind the scenes stuff.
0: So you're the introverted artiste.
3: Maybe that's me. Introverted artiste, yeah.
0: What would you say is the lowest part or the lowest moment of your career?
3: Okay, let's see. I, have, I think we've had a lot of reinventions in our career. We've been doing this for a really long time. After 9-11, there was definitely a low. That was a time of, like, it was a really hard time in New York. We all had to kind of reinvent, figure things out. Then things got a little better, and then the whole economic crash happened, and that was really a time when we were doing a lot of advertising work, and I I wasn't really happy. And so we took that lull. I started a food blog. I started to connect with a lot of the makers that, um, the whole maker scene was happening in Brooklyn started reaching out to those people and photographing them and kind of finding my way back to food, which I really love, and um, that kind of brought our career into this new area. And then Instagram happened.
0: So you made uh, lemonade out of lemons.
3: Yeah. I feel like while it's great to do all that advertising, as a photographer, sometimes you can get sucked in by the money and other people are driving your career and you just kind of lose touch with what it is you really love about what you started to do in the first place. Yeah.
0: I would not normally ask what chef do you admire the most, but I'll, I'll say what, what photographer and chef do you admire the most?
3: Well, my daughter's an amazing photographer, and while that might be a lot of nepotism there, uh, her generation really uses photography and their craft in a political way, and I love that. Um, These kids are
0: using film again.
3: Yeah, they're using film again. They're making videos. It's really nice to see. Uh, I like Sally Mann because she is so prolific, and she deals with so many issues of like family and death and decay and just things I find really interesting. And a Chef, well, I do love Magnus from Favakin, but I didn't really like him when he ate the puffin on the chef's table. That was going too far.
0: Oh, yeah, I really want to go to that restaurant, but then when the, the puffin, yeah. and, then like, and then the egg. Uh, the egg Cake
3: of the puffin, and then he stole the eggs from the sides of the mountain. That was a little too much, but as a chef, I love him, and I love what he's doing, and I, I've been lucky enough to like go in the woods with him when he's been foraging, and, and what he does at Favikin is so visually beautiful, so I love him. Um, Samin, who was here earlier, who just has salt, acid, fat, her new book, she is a great connector of people and super exciting. And her new book is going to be like the new Bible for, it's like taking a course.
0: Wonderful. Yeah. You were just mentioning that you are fascinated by decay and death and all those things. How, uh, how would you like to die yourself?
3: Okay. Well, I definitely don't like to be cold, so I would say I would want to be cremated. You don't
0: want to be frozen to death. No,
3: I don't want to be. I don't want to be with uh, bugs. I don't want to be cold. I don't want any of that. So the fire right away. I think
0: yeah, no shit, of
3: course. But I was recently on a trip to India, and Alice Waters was on this trip, and she was telling me there's a mushroom suit you can wear. You put the mushroom shoot suit on, and it like. It decays your body, eats your body. So I haven't had a chance to check this out. Yo,
0: is this real? It's real.
3: It's, real. it's the mushroom suit. You got to check it out.
0: Is this so? You put the mushroom suit on, and it, uh, is it normally for like a somebody who's already passed?
3: And that's you know, you put the mushroom suit on the person, and I don't know, you just. And then
0: they become one with earth. They compost.
3: They compost.
0: Okay, that means.
3: And no, nothing. Just straight into the earth in the mushroom suit.
0: I mean, obviously, death by fungus is how you're going to go. <laughs> Okay, you have a good vision of what kind of photographer you think you are yourself. What do you think the general public actually thinks you are?
3: Um, The general public probably thinks that um, that's a hard one. Thank you. We're definitely attracted to shadow and light and the things that lie in between that. Um, We definitely pay attention to detail. Bring a lot of storytelling to our photography, so that's probably what they think. I would imagine, but yeah, I guess you'd have to ask them.
0: You like the shadow play?
3: Yeah, for sure.
0: This is a I'm gonna do. This is a two-parter. What is your most treasured piece of photography equipment, and your most treasured piece of kitchen equipment?
3: Okay, my most treasured piece of kitchen equipment is a great knife. I have a very beautiful knife that I got from my father, an old Sabatier knife. I like to get it sharpened every now and then. It's just beautiful. It's a beautiful patina. Um, my most treasured piece of photo equipment is probably my Deardorf 8x10. It's where I started in photography. You know, you got the cloak, the big film backs, um, and I haven't pulled it out for a while, but I think I'm gonna start a series on 100 women and I'm gonna use that. I'm gonna go back to 8x10.
0: That's, that's the old the, the big old-timey camera that's set up on an easel and you put the, the black cape behind your head. Is there a big poof when the... when the.
3: That is a misconception. The big poof did come from some kind of flash, but the way they show it in the old movies, that is not how it happened at all. But the thing I like about 8x10 is that uh, it's solitary. You're working by yourself. You're looking through the glass. Photography's now moved into this new realm where... Everything's digital. There's a monitor. Everyone's commenting on your photograph before you've even made it. It's, it's communal, and it's referendum, and it's super frustrating because why I love photography was it was very private, and I just looked through my viewfinder. I could make the composition I wanted, and it was very private. So I kind of want to find a little bit of that again somehow. So that's what I'm looking for.
0: Well said. Okay, finally... If you were to die and be recreated as a object, non-living, what do you think it would be?
3: I do think that every object is living.
0: Good answer, hippie.
3: Maybe, um, maybe an amethyst crystal? Because you can kind of get bathed in the sun, you're going to get purified, you're bringing energy to things.
0: You look beautiful.
3: Yeah, and you look beautiful, yeah.
0: Amethyst crystal. That's a good answer. That's, that's my favorite answer so far. She, she gave a good one. Well, thank you so much for doing this. If people wanted to uh, check out your photography and other things, where would they find you online?
3: They can find me online at Um, They can find me on Instagram. And we're also doing series of photographic workshops where we now call This is the Wanderlust. And we take people to really far-flung corners of the globe and take them on these intense expeditions. We went to Caros, Peru, 17,000 feet to this village that had only been discovered by anthropologists in the 50s. And um, so we're, we're, we take like small groups of people on these, so they can find us there too at thisisthewanderlust dot com.
0: How's your uh, frequent flyer miles going?
3: You know, want to know your status? I got to work on that this year because I'm very bad about that. I do not. I'm I'm just too bad.
0: Does hires handle that?
3: No, he does not handle that. No.
0: Jesus, you need it. One one of you has to do it.
3: I know. Yeah. We do. That's a goal for this year. The goal for this year was frequent flyer miles. Pull that shit together and say yes more.
0: Final question, do you have more Instagram followers than your kids?
3: Yes, I have. A, How
0: does that make them feel?
3: Well, my daughter is one of the few people that I've seen lately who's still able to gain new followers since they started that algorithm. Everything leveled off. But I think um, what she's doing using her photography and her art in a super political way to talk about gender, she's gaining followers. I've kind of leveled off, but so she'll surpass me.
0: Can't wait till I have kids and I have more followers than them. It'll make me feel good.
3: Well, it's really embarrassing when your kid goes to school and someone says in the ninth grade, "Oh, is your mom so and so? I follow her on Instagram."
0: <laughs> yeah, if I, I would, I would, I would die if, if somebody said that as, at that influential age. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it.
3: Not so painful.
0: That was amazing, wonderful. <clears throat> First, can you uh, introduce yourself and how people would know you as?
4: I'm Dana Cowan, and you may know me as the former editor of Food & Mind magazine or the host of Speaking Broadly on Heritage.
0: Yeah, I've seen you on, I've seen you around, maybe on television?
4: Yes, uh, you might also have seen me on Top Chef. I love judging. I was did tons of seasons.
0: It's been a goal of mine to be like a judge on Iron Chef, but I would definitely love to do Top Chef as well.
4: Both of them are fantastic, and they're actually quite different because of who the competitors are and what the tasks are. But both Iron Chef and Chopped Chef are phenomenal shows.
0: I agree. There, I mean, I, 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 I miss the days where the food competition shows were actually competitions and not like a weird story about how your mom is sick and now you need to get money for Chopped from Chopped to help her out or something like that.
4: I like Chopped. I think Chopped is awesome.
0: I like Chopped, too. Okay. First question, what bite of food makes you the happiest?
4: Fried chicken, first bite and last bite. Because some some dishes, like the first bite's amazing, but by the time the last bite comes, you're bored. And I'm never bored because I love how crunchy it is on the outside and juicy on the inside. It's like perfect. I like dark meat and I like light meat. And I like every single thing about fried chicken, a single bite, all the way, the whole thing.
0: Are you making this yourself or are you getting it at a restaurant?
4: I am never making it myself. I mean, I have made it myself. Um, I'm not... an expert uh, fried chicken maker. For me, the bites of fried chicken that I make myself are a waste.
0: Yeah, making fried chicken excellently is a very tough thing to do.
4: Have you ever done that?
0: I have, and also it's really messy. you got to
4: get rid of the
0: oil. I don't like the thin layer of oil that coats your whole kitchen afterwards. Okay, Um, where in New York is your favorite fried chicken?
4: You know, I am equal opportunity. It's almost hard to find a fried chicken that I don't like. In a week or so, I'm going to good Noodle Bar and doing their big fried chicken dinner and I'm really looking forward to that. So my sights are set on that right now.
0: Are you eating this straight up or is this with a hot sauce, is this a honey drizzle? What's going on?
4: I like both actually. Being open-minded on fried chicken, I like plain fried chicken, I like spicy fried chicken, I like Korean crackly fried chicken. Um, yeah. The only thing I don't like is baked in the oven fried chicken, which I think is a worthless cheat.
0: That ain't a fried chicken, if you ask me. When you're cooking at home, what is an ingredient that you feel like you overuse?
4: Oil, probably. Like, I just glug, 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 glug. Everything that in a recipe it says use a tablespoon, I'm like... Never. That's ridiculous. And like a third of a cup later, I'm like, ah, oh, now I feel better. I think, it's, I, I think I'm at the right amount of oil.
0: Yeah, I, I found that whenever I'm cooking from a recipe, I always juice up a lot of those, you know, salt, oil, butter. Everything should get a little bit more than what's called for. Okay, what is a dish that you make maybe for your family that you've just done for years and everyone just loves it?
4: Um, well, the joke about me is that I... You know, I don't really cook all that much, uh, but my favorite thing to make is a great soup because it is absolutely unscrubbable and it's infinitely alterable and changeable. So I have two kids and since they were really little, it was chicken soup Saturday. Every chicken soup Saturday was a different chicken soup and basically it was a very sneaky way to get rid of all of the leftovers in my refrigerator without telling them that. And now I think they could face that truth, but back then they just thought that they had infinitely variable soups that so all had funny names.
0: And if and if the carrots you put in are looking a little too old and wilty in, in a soup, nobody has, nobody knows the wiser.
4: No one knows.
0: Of all the people you've worked with over year over the years, what is a uh, a trait, an overall trait in a coworker or an employee that you look for the most?
4: Enthusiasm and lack of being jaded. As like someone who is. Permanently curious, excitable, uh, non-judgmental, welcoming.
0: It seems hard to find somebody in the food world that's not overly jaded.
4: Oh, I disagree.
0: In my personal, I mean, I live in LA, so what do you know? <laughs> okay, what is the lowest moment in your career? Or maybe something that happened that was particularly apocalyptic at the time?
4: The lowest moment in my career um, is when I realize that the job that I'm doing that I like or used to like is going away, or I should leave it, because I've had the world's most amazing jobs. But my first job, when I realized I wasn't going to progress and I really had to do something else, that just felt horrible because I'd put a lot of time into it and I really enjoyed it. But I realized I was never going anywhere, and I had to quit. That sucked. And at a magazine where. I really loved it. But then the magazine quit. It folded. That really sucked.
0: I could only imagine that would be like working with a magazine that's just like, finally, this is it. This is how it should be. And then like, oh, we're we're going to fold.
4: The magazine that folded, I was the managing editor. So I was the one, uh, the last one in the office, like opening the drawers and seeing, you know, are there any photographs we need to return to photographers? Or did anyone leave their umbrella behind? It's a sad feeling.
0: That's tough. Okay, what is a chef, dead or alive, that you admire the most?
4: That's a... <laughs> no. I would say, like, so um, once I was on stage with Julia Child and Marcel Hazan and Victor Hazan and Patricia Wells, and it was in Aspen at the Food & Wine Classic in Aspen. And I asked Julia Child basically that question except it was about trends, and she shut me down. She's like, that is a media question, and I'm not going to answer it. And I'm just taking Julia's.
0: Well, at least we learned that you do a very good impression of Julia Child. Well done. Speaking of dead or alive, what is the way that you would like to die personally?
4: Oh. Do people have different answers to this? Like, I would love to, really, I'd love to die in my sleep. Um, Boom. Like, just, I'd love to wake up dead.
0: People have had a lot of different answers. The, the, the last one, she said, uh, you can get a mushroom suit. So, so when, when you're dead, you put the suit on and it's filled with like mushroom spores and then you're buried into the ground so you become like a living fertilizer fungus scenario. No coffin.
4: I think that sounds really creepy.
0: Very creepy. I know I was telling her it'd be, take it one step further and, and put it on while you're still alive and then let the earth slowly take you. How do you feel about that?
4: That seems to me like you could put it in the category of would you like to burn to death or freeze to death? Like, would you like to be eaten to death by mushrooms? Like, none of the three.
0: Okay. This one's a little more of a chef question, but uh, when, you're, when you are cooking at home, I know you don't do it that much, but uh, <laughs> you probably have a, a vision of what type of cook you are yourself and, and stuff that you're into, but what do you think other people, maybe your family, think you are as a chef? Like, oh, she's, she's always making me healthy foods, or always making me unhealthy foods, or like, how do other people think you are as a chef?
4: In my family, I would say, she's always making me cook for myself.
0: In the kitchen, what is your most treasured possession?
4: My most treasured possession is probably not singular. I have a really beautiful collection of knives. From all those years at food and wine and collecting incredible pieces and some of them are from Japan and some of them are American made and some of them you know the steel is so beautiful and some of them the handle so beautiful and some of them the balance and the weight is so beautiful and of course it's very hard to do anything in the kitchen without a really great knife. One of my favorite knives my father gave me before he died and he died 23 years ago and it has a plastic handle and it's a it's a bread knife. And it's still a perfect knife and a great memory of him.
0: Like the regular, like, plastic handle utility bread knife?
4: Yeah, it's very simple. It probably wasn't very expensive. I have no idea why my father would ever even have come across such a thing. He didn't cook. He didn't particularly care about food. But he gave me, as an apartment warming, of this really simple, sturdy bread knife that I'll have my whole life.
0: Final question. If you were to be recreated as an object, non-living, what do you think it would be?
4: Oh my god, like a Jean Arp sculpture.
0: Any particular position that you're in as the sculpture?
4: Well, it's just that they're so smooth and sexy and um, obviously three-dimensional and people could engage in all dimensions, visual, tactile. I just think that would be fun.
0: Aspiring to be smoother and sexier.
4: Rounder and harder, apparently.
0: <laughs> Rounder and hard to the touch. Okay. Thank you so much for doing this. If people wanted to find you online, maybe your Instagram, would you like to give that up?
4: Um, you can always find me at FWScout uh, or at Speaking Broadly, which is that radio show on Heritage.
0: Thank you so much. Okay. Please introduce yourself and how people would know you.
5: Uh, my name is Mac Malikowski, and I'm the founding editor of a magazine called Mouthfeel. Mac Malikowski. Good name. And Mouthfeel, uh, we were just talking, I just discovered it. it's a a very
0: cool food magazine. I haven't physically read an issue yet. I've only just looked at it online. We'll get into your artisanal products later at the end, perhaps. Uh, Yeah, do you feel comfortable talking about that? Absolutely. My pleasure. Poppers. Let's just talk about it now then. (laughs) It's it's funny because a friend of mine like a, a week ago... For, for those who don't know, poppers are uh, an interesting drug often found in the gay community and the rave party scene where it's... what Do you know what it exactly is? Am- amyl nitrate?
5: Yeah, I think originally, uh, I understand it came from the United Kingdom, but it was a blood pressure regulator that you were to inhale. and uh, But people started sort of using it as a party drug because it sort of gave you this interesting rush that would enhance you know the dance floor in the bedroom
0: well said and then a friend of mine was like what if they made poppers but it was like a weird artisanal scent and flavor and then I I, I was like oh somebody has already beat you to it so you you have crafted your own blends with this which is one of the best things I've ever heard in my life but like describe some of the flavors you have
5: well I'll start by saying that I think part of Mouthfield's mission is to sort of create kind of a fucked up and photocopied sense of culture. So it was a joke at first. Somebody sent me an image of a popper that had just the word jalapeno on it. And I said, oh, jalapeno popper, I get it. Uh, And then we kept it pushing and uh, we jokingly made one called Nutella poppers. And then about four months later, we actually had decided to try and create it. So I worked with an artist in Los Angeles, actually, um, named Joe Bruns, uh, who helped me develop this recipe for amyl nitrate with Nutella. That was our launch release. Uh, There's a few issues with getting it out to the world that we don't want to mess with so so much, so uh, it was more of a, a personal handoff if you ever wanted one. So. It is it is
0: a gray area, but good to know that it's out there and I'm dying to try it. Mom, if you're listening, I'm sorry. Okay, we've got a few questions for you. What uh, What is the bite of food that makes you the happiest?
5: I love um, soup dumplings. I just love the texture. I love the heat and the cold. Um, there's a place in Manhattan called uh, Cafe Shanghai Deluxe. I can't think of a better bite.
0: I love a soup dump. Have you ever tried making them yourself?
5: No, but I'm very curious too. Do you have a good recipe? I don't. I know
0: how to make them, but I've never tried it. It seems like something I, I'm afraid to mess with. Same. You gotta gelatinize the <laughs> broth. Yeah. Do you do a lot of cooking yourself, or you just do a lot of cook magazineing? <laughs>
5: The latter. Yeah, I'm not a big cook. I, um, I live in Bushwick and a, known, a little known fact about me is I don't have an oven. My apartment doesn't have an oven.
0: Classic Bushwick.
5: Classic Bushwick. Totally. But then there's like piles of ovens on the street, you know, like it, it just makes no sense. So, uh, but I don't do a lot of cooking. I, I love food culture and I love personalities, which is what we focus on in Mouthfeel. Not
0: for cooking, but for eating. What is an ingredient that you you find yourself reaching for maybe a
5: little too much? I love aiolis, which seems a little weird, but if you can dip it, you can stick it for me. Creamy. Very creamy. creamier the better.
0: So you, you also are a mayonnaise head, I'm sure.
5: I do. I have patatas bravas, aioli. I love mayonnaise with sriracha. I love sour cream, half and half in my coffee. I can't stop. Somebody help.
0: For a guy who likes creamy things so much, you've managed to maintain a svelte figure. So well done.
5: Thank you so much.
0: What is, uh, if you, if you are cooking all of your friends to get together, have a dinner party, what's, do you have a dish that everyone's like, oh, you have to make this when you come over?
5: Mm. I like, uh, there's a recipe that I ripped from Tuck Shop, the Australian place that just does like a tahini based kale salad, which is genius. It's like, you know, it's vegan. It's kind of a crowd pleaser. So if I'm coming to your potluck, I'm probably bringing that. And
0: you're rubbing the tahini in?
5: Yeah, it's a whole thing. Explain. (laughs) I think that's
0: where I'll leave it. How many people do you work with on the magazine?
5: Um, it's me, and I have a creative design director that um, does the layout for the print edition. And that's it. It's just us two. I have a lot of great friends who, who help with parties and collaborations, and we have great contributors who do photography and, and writing for us. Uh, very lucky to have a good network that way. For the
0: uh, one other partner on it, what is a trait that they have that basically, if they didn't do this, then you guys would be fucked? Like something that they do that you can't do.
5: Well, we, uh, both the creative director and I grew up in the sort of punk and hardcore scene in California and Nevada, where I grew up. Nevada? Nevada, yeah. Home, homegrown. Homegrown Nevadan. And uh, so when we came together on Mouthfeel, we had a really easy uh, visual language that we could share with each other about what we wanted. We wanted it to feel like a zine. We wanted it to feature underground culture with an underground aesthetic. So... Um, but his design work is, is next level. He's worked for amazing advertising agencies and he's a creative director of an agency in Los Angeles now. Um, and I couldn't have, I mean, if, if it wasn't for him, I don't think Mouthfield would stand out the way it does and be able to be sold at you know Ooga Booga and Colette and Printed Matter, that kind of place. So.
0: Love Ooga Booga. Were you ever straight edge? It's a hard, hard line. Yeah. I was also a vegan straight edge man's twist. <laughs> That is a good twist. We're, we'll, we'll have to talk about that off pod. What has been the lowest moment in Mouthfield's existence?
5: I felt a lot of pressure to get our second issue out. And I guess I'll just say I regret the way we did it exactly.
0: Growing pains. Correct. I would say what chef do you admire the most, but we can do this maybe a little something in your world, like what, what What? magazine did you grow up admiring the most?
5: Good question. Actually, you know, I'm a millennial. I'm not afraid to say it. And I worked at uh, Borders when I was in high school, uh, which the, the defunct bookstore, but I was in charge of the magazine section. And I do have to say that I was always uh, drawn to the pornography. It was all heterosexual pornography and I knew that and I didn't really care. But I would just kind of push past like the motorcycle magazines and like the golfing magazines, obviously, to get or just to like, you know, sneak a peek. So um, Mouthfield is doing a collaboration soon with Playboy magazine, which is sort of a dream come true for me because of it's the iconic nature of like, you know, sexually explicit magazine. So um, that's really major to me. I will answer your question. I think somebody like Danny Meyer, for example, is like is iconic to me in terms of a businessman who's working in food. I know he's, he has an amazing network. He's great with his employees, and he can kind of see five steps ahead, and that's something I definitely aspire to be. So
0: You're more of a front-of-house daddy. Preach. Okay.
5: How would you like to die? Oh, um, I don't know how I'd like. Uh, well, I'll say I'd like to be hugged to death. You want to be smothered to death? Uh, hugged, like embraced. To- By one person or many? Um, like a
0: dog pile scenario.
5: <laughs> yeah. I could get into that. I do definitely want a sea burial uh, with oysters, kind of beautiful summer, linen. So so burial
0: at sea. Got it. Okay. (laughs) What is your, uh, normally I've asked what is your most treasured possession in the kitchen, but maybe you can answer that or just in your home.
5: Good question. I have a great collection of cookbooks, everything from The Art of Eating. I have every issue of The Art of Eating since 1969 or 70. And um, I also have a cookbook called Tout Suite a la Minute, and it's every classic French recipe, but you can make it in the microwave. I mean, I have to explain it to you. You're cultured. So I really appreciate those books, and I appreciate my phone charger.
0: Do you have a regular standard Apple phone charger, or do you have an aftermarket,
5: like... Amazon one. It's aftermarket, but it's like 29 feet long. So I can kind of walk around my whole house with it. And it will say that we do most of the media production of Mouthfeel on my phone, video, photo, etc. So it's a real asset to me. If you were to be
0: recreated after your burial at sea into a non-living object, what would it be? A cannoli. A cannoli. What a cute answer. Thank you so much for doing this. If people want to find you and Mouthfeel online, where should they go?
5: Uh, Mouthfeelmag.com. We have a list of all of our retailers on there, but you're welcome to use the web store. Uh, Check out our press clippings, everything from details to vice to out. And uh, check us out on Instagram at Mouthfeel Magazine.
0: Definitely check out the web store for my favorite product that you sell, an artisanal popper. Thank you so much. Um, So just first introduce yourself and how people would know you.
6: Hi, I'm Liz Pruitt, and I come from San Francisco, where I co-own Tartine Bakery and Tartine Manufactory in the Mission District with my husband, Chad Robertson.
0: And you guys, I, I live in L.A., you guys are doing an L.A. thing, perhaps?
6: We actually are. One is under construction uh, in downtown L.A., and the other one, we bought a bank uh, at 4th and Main, and we're renovating that, and we're going to have a Tartine in there.
0: Oh, I know! What, I know exactly what you're talking about. That's right around the corner from Kazunori. Have you been there?
6: Yes. And it's uh, it's this beautiful, beautiful, I think it was the Farmers and Merchants Bank, actually, one of the first banks in L.A. And it has only been used as a movie set for the last, I don't know, 20, 25 or more years. And uh, it's going to be this unbelievable, we're going to renovate this glass dome that's uh, that sits above and there's all these, a warren of amazing um, Rooms downstairs below, and it's going to be connected to a modern art museum.
0: Luckily, you guys make so much money because this doesn't sound cheap.
6: <laughs> all partners' money, none of mine.
0: <laughs> Smart move. Okay, what is the bite of food of all time that makes you the happiest?
6: Uh, it would be a tiny little strawberry called a fraise de bois that has like the biggest amount of flavor. It's, it's amazing. It almost tastes like fake strawberry extract, like when you dry bananas and it just doesn't taste real. But these strawberries are unbelievable.
0: So it's a, t- it's a tiny artisanal strawberry?
6: Well, I don't know if you would say artisanal, but...
0: <laughs> I mean that in a very broad sense of just like it's, it's a, like it's like a harder to find chefy
6: strawberry, perhaps? Strawberry that you rarely see because it's so tiny and fragile. And they're available in May, and that's about it, and they don't travel. And so if you happen to be walking through the woods of the Savoie uh, <laughs> and you, you find a dappled spot in the forest, that's where they'll be growing.
0: Uh, it's the truffle of berries.
6: Yeah, kind. that's a good way to put it, yeah.
0: Okay. Great answer. Uh, as, as somebody uh, who cooks food a lot, what is one ingredient that you find yourself possibly overusing? It can be just as of late.
6: Um, would it surprise you that I'm from California and I would say avocado?
0: (laughs) No, because you're not the first person to say that. (laughs) So you, so you over, you, do you do avocado on everything?
6: Uh, I love avocado in almost every way except warm. I just, I can't. And some people cook it that way and I, I don't get it whatsoever.
0: I'm the same way I, I, because sometimes you'll go to a Japanese spot and they'll, they'll have like a tempura avocado and I think it's so gross.
6: It's like cooking rubber or I don't know. There's something just gross to me about it.
0: Not, not meant to be heated whatsoever. I agree with that. When you're, say, you're at home cooking for your family, what's a dish that everyone just wants? Or you're like you're going to a dinner party and everyone's like, oh, you have to make this one specific dish. Like you're real crowd pleaser.
6: Um, dinner party... Lately, I guess I would be making Samin's uh, Cuckoo Sabzi, which is this Persian green omelet that's just packed with herbs and and uh, leeks. And it's this beautiful green jewel color. In fact, I was going to make it today for my event, but Samin made it for her event last night, and she won because she's the Persian. Um, <laughs> so so that's that's one of the things because people... It's both like when you see it being made, you can't believe they fit that many greens into this thing, and then eating it is just amazing. Seems
0: like Persian food's really having a big moment right now. Do you agree?
6: Uh, I would agree with that. Yeah.
0: And I I welcome it. It's one of my faves. Okay. Of all the people that you work with, pick a person, maybe a partner, a quality that they have that you don't have, where if you didn't work with them, your whole thing would just kind of crumble. A yin to your yang, perhaps.
6: Um, well, I would sort of hate to be predictable and say Chad, my husband, but there you have it, because we work together for, well, we've been married for 25 years and been working together for about that long.
0: Well, this can also just be in your own personal relationship. What's, what's something that Chad can do that you can't?
6: It, well, he makes bread. I can't. <laughs> That's big. Uh, he's really, really decisive. Whereas I can sort of hem and haw around things. And so if we're in a situation like, like his palate, it's really decisive and quick.
0: What would you say has been one of the lowest moments of your career in in team? Maybe a, a horrible speed bump that you guys have hit and learned from?
6: Yeah, when we almost had to close because we didn't have enough business, which is <laughs> like... Uh, almost
0: closing from lack of business. Yeah,
6: I would say that, that that was a like really horrible moment because we started in 2002, and people assumed we were wildly popular from the get-go. And it was a combination of not being wildly popular and not quite understanding how to control our labor cost that almost did us in and then we hired an expert and they helped coach us and we we got over that help and at the same time we started to become more well known and now we you know now we're successful and now we know how to control our labor cost.
0: <laughs> was there was there a particular food item that helped catapult that into a new level of success?
6: Yeah, I think so. Actually it was this aspect that I think everybody in the food business would benefit from and that is we listened to our customers and we took a look at, you know, it was easy to know what was selling in the morning croissants. It was easy to see what was selling in the afternoon and later, or actually later in the afternoon when the bread came out of the oven. But we, that's when we started making hot press sandwiches and carrying Kermit Lynch wines. And so having that and the croque monsieur just sort of was like, that's what was missing and that is what gave us an all day business.
0: I've waited in a long ass line for that hot press sandwich and it was worth it. <laughs> what other, what's your favorite non tartine bakery in the country?
6: Holy cow. I don't get out much. <laughs> and I'm not like being a snob here and I'm also gluten intolerant, so it's not like I'm looking for bakeries to go to. Um, I'm scrambling in my mind. Oh, you know who does beautiful work? Margarita Mansky at Republic. Gorgeous work. And because I don't go there just because it's a bakery, I went to Republic to eat lunch, and her work is just like in the front, displayed beautiful pastries.
0: Another place that I've waited in line for, and it was worth. Mm-hmm. What chef or baker or restaurateur do you admire the most?
6: I have a lot of admiration for Suzanne, Suzanne Goen. She manages to slowly open beautiful and well-thought-out restaurants that feel like they've been there for a long time, and they feel like they make sense for the area. And her partner, Carolyn Stein, is just incredible at what she does, and it's a great, it shows that it's a great partnership because it's, they're, they're just all solid and fantastic.
0: They just do it the right way. A little bit of a curve turn now here. How how would you like to die? No, thank you. If we had a choice, a lot of people say they like to die in their sleep. One person said a burial at sea. One person said wear a suit made of mushrooms and then compost into the earth.
6: But, well, that's after you die. I can tell you what I want after I die is I want a fruit tree planted over me so that it just keeps blossoming and fruiting.
0: Is there a specific fruit that this tree would be? peach. Ooh, a cl- nothing nothing better than a perfectly ripe, little almost too mushy peach, huh? Mm-hmm. You get it. What is the most treasured possession in your kitchen, or it could be your home as well?
6: Uh, my grandmother's platter pan. It's a, it's a Swedish pan that makes small, like three-inch uh, pancakes that are almost like a bit cross between a crepe and a pancake, and it's, it's her pan that my mom passed down to me
0: and it's all old and rustic and perfect looking
6: it looks like a black cast iron pan that anybody would have except that it has like uh, six or seven uh, spaces to to make the pancakes and I love that thing
0: (laughs) and finally if you were to be recreated as a non-living object what would it be
6: how about um, a crystal that when it refracts light creates rainbows
0: First of all second person to want to be recreated as a crystal and great follow-up description so so one that specifically reflects into a rainbow do you are you a big rainbow fan
6: no but it's <laughs> I hate him. I, I, not more than the average person but when I think about a crystal like not a quartz crystal but like a perfectly clear crystal that like if you well, They sell these things that like, it has a little suction cup and a crystal and you put it on your window where the sun comes in and the heat from the window heats up this coil and the crystal spins around and it creates rainbows all over your room.
0: Wow. So this is like a very early man version of a disco ball.
6: (laughs) During the daytime. That's it.
0: During the, yeah. Very specific. Well, that sounds amazing. Good answer. Well, thank you so much for doing this. If people wanted to find Tartine, you're in San Francisco, soon to be LA and New York. And And then if people want to find you online, maybe your Instagram or something like that, where would that be?
6: So Instagram, I'm Liz Pruitt, P-R-U-E-I-T-T underscore Tartine.
0: And is your Instagram, what is it it mainly consisting of? Is it kids? Is it baked goods? Is it your cat? Um, Sunsets?
6: Facebook is for cats, kids, and rainbows. Instagram is all professional
0: <laughs> Perfect answer You could tell she's a damn pro Thank you Okay, please introduce yourself and how people would know you as
7: um, My name's Amy Chaplin And I'm a chef and cookbook author Where are you from, Amy? Australia
0: What part of Australia?
7: <laughs> Sorry. Uh, northern New South Wales Like halfway between Sydney and Brisbane Very remote area called Dundarabin, Which nobody would have heard of
0: Not in the bush
7: Yeah, the bush, in the bush. Yeah, in the bush,
2: literally
0: Amazing. Okay, we're going to get into that a lot. A, one of the questions involves a specific ingredient, and I feel like Australians really eat that ingredient as well. So I look forward to hearing your answer on that one. We have this beautiful cookbook right in front of me. It's very thick. It looks very substantial. It specializes in the Whole Foods world of the kitchen.
7: Yeah, the book is well. It's how I eat, and actually how I grew up eating. Um, all vegetarian. My take on vegetarian is mostly vegan, like the book is about 95%. But the main thing is, is that all the ingredients are whole food. Like all the flours are whole grain, all the grains are whole grain, the nuts and seeds, nothing's had its skin taken off.
0: Nothing processed.
7: No, nothing processed, absolutely.
0: In Australia, that's kind of how everything is already, right?
7: Uh, no. <laughs> well,
0: I mean, it, well, in terms of like their produce and things like that, it's. Uh, I, it seems like things are...
7: Yeah, I mean, I feel like people have a good sense of... Uh, whole food ingredients, definitely, and things do taste amazing there. I think the soil is different, and dairy does taste different there. I, I feel, I feel like milk is richer or something, but that just could be.
0: The meats are meatier, the eggs are yellower.
7: <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't know about the meat, but
0: have you been vegan or vegetarian your whole life?
7: Yes, uh, my parents have been were vegetarian. Uh, yeah, so from birth, I have been from birth. They since they were teenagers.
0: Fascinating. Okay, you're never going to eat meat, right?
7: No, I mean, I've tried it, and occasionally here and there I'll have an oyster or something, just because I'm in an area where, you know, it's very rare, though. Yeah.
0: So, first question, what is the one bite of food that makes you the happiest?
7: Brown rice.
0: Brown rice? My
7: God, no, really perfect. Like, you've got to soak it. I'm all about traditional methods of...
0: Give me some brown rice tips.
7: Yeah, so all whole grains need to be soaked overnight before you cook them. Then you drain off the soaking liquid and then cook it with fresh water. This removes phytic acid, which makes them more digestible and more nutritious. So you can actually absorb the nutrients more, but it also makes it taste so much better. Like it just is moist and a little bit sticky. And if you use short grain brown rice combined with a little bit of sweet rice, soak it overnight recipes in there but it's like a cup of short grain brown rice with a half a cup of sweet rice and it is just the perfect combination of sticky and nutty and sweet and when i eat that i feel the same way like when i have miso it's like grounding nourishing and just like my favorite
0: food and when you're having this perfect bowl of brown rice that you've soaked overnight are you eating it just in the nude or are you what do you like to accompany it with
7: Okay, I love toasted seeds on it, like or Gamasio. You know, toasted sesame seeds crushed with salt. That's good. Uh, I like a drizzle of flax oil, a bit of avocado, some scallions, chopped up scallions are key. Parsley's good. Um, yeah, toasted seeds, a bit of tamari. I like too.
0: You're uh, you're making me feel at home in my health food teenage roots. Just, just a little spritz of Bragg's liquid amino. Oh man, classic Aussie. All right. When you're, uh, when you're at home cooking, what is an ingredient that you find you overuse, perhaps?
7: Oh, that's a really good question. Um,
0: there, like friends of yours would be like, oh man, she really needs to stop making all this rainbow shard. I'm getting sick of it or something like that.
7: It's probably grains. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I could really eat grains three meals a day and I have been told it's not always the best thing. <laughs> you need some protein in there too, but I gravitate towards that. So probably it's like, oh, are we having another whole grain porridge for breakfast
0: more brown rice, you know. Have you ever experimented in growing your own grains and milling them yourself? No,
7: no, I haven't. I have milled them. We used to grind, our, my parents ground their own flour to make bread. So I used to do that as a kid, but um, I haven't actually grown them, no.
0: Maybe something to do next year, who knows. Uh, if When you get invited to maybe a dinner party or you're cooking for your family, what's a dish that people always want you to bring?
7: Well, it's usually something with chickpeas because I love cooking chickpeas in a pressure cooker because they taste so sweet and they're always creamy right to the center and they don't fall apart. Oh, and, and, you know sorry and some kind of heirloom bean. Usually a bean thing. Yeah.
0: You're the bean you're the person to call when you need a a, a perfectly cooked bean dish. It's
7: absolutely, yeah.
0: Do you have any hummus tips?
7: Um, uh, no, because I don't make hummus that much. But you know what I do do? I love to, after you finish cooking the chickpeas, drain them, save a bit of the liquid, mash them with olive oil and salt, and then splash in a bit of the cooking liquid just to get it to be a nice consistency. And that is really delicious, warm or cool. Mainly warm is good because it's soft.
0: So that's kind of like adding in a little bit of the pasta water to your sauce.
7: Yeah, kind of exactly. It kind of just brings it all together. And yeah, it's just a nice. It's got no nuts and no garlic and no lemon, so it's really nothing like hummus. But it's just really hearty and satisfying. Yeah.
0: Damn, I used to be vegan. You're starting to give me flashbacks. <laughs> uh, what? What has been the lowest point of your career?
7: Oh God. Um. Probably some moments early on in a restaurant in London where I was just like, oh my God, I hate this whole vibe in here, you know, but I needed a job.
0: Just like working in a shit restaurant in London?
7: Yeah, it was actually a Terence Conrad restaurant. It wasn't exactly shit, but it was just like, just the the atmosphere in there. I was just like, oh, I just, I'm not, in. this is not me. I'm not into it, but I need to, you know, suck it up.
0: In, in that moment of weakness, were you, if you were to consider switching to a different career, what would it have been at that time?
7: At that time, it would have, would have been something in fashion design or making things, you know, with fabric, something with fabric. What about now? Now, I can't imagine. Now I'm so into on this, I'm on this path for good.
0: Once you're an auteur, there's no, there's no turning back from there. What, um, what chef or, or, or cookbook author perhaps do you admire the most?
7: Well, I was just talking about this downstairs. Um, Jung Kwan, the chef who was on the chef's table, she really inspired me. I mean, she does all vegan food. It's monk food. It's, you know, there's no onions and garlic as well. But she does a lot of fermenting and, you know, just foraging from her own sort of wild-like garden that isn't really well kept and bugs have eaten the leaves and... I just found her whole approach just so beautiful and inspiring. So lately, it's her. Were,
0: were you aware of her before that Chef's Table came out?
7: Um, yeah, I had read about her in the Times and I'd heard about her, but I just really didn't really understand to what degree her food made me want to eat it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I had never heard of her, but when I saw that, I was so blown away by everything. I just wanted to, it, it was just so simple, but I just wanted to eat it so bad, see what all the fuss is about. I guess in in your world of of Whole Foods, is she sort of like the the top of the pops right now? Is she the Beyonce of this world?
7: Oh, you know what? I don't know that because I haven't actually... I'm sure a lot of people that are interested in this, you know, just sort of clean eating and also... Just Shojin cuisine is, you know, the Japanese sort of version of that. But I feel like it hasn't really ever been really, really popular, actually. But it was one of my first restaurant jobs in Amsterdam many, many, like 22 years ago. I worked at a Japanese macrobiotic restaurant, and her cooking reminded me of that. You know, they used a bit of fish, but just that kind of just very zen-like food and simple. I just love simple.
0: I'm, I'm starting to get that vibe from you. Uh, this, is, this is where it t- takes a turn. If you had the choice, how would you like to die?
7: In the country, very old.
0: In the country? Just like a, a shack in the wilderness?
7: No, no, not like that, but just sort of like surrounded by nature. Um, I've never really thought about this before, actually, but but I would probably like to just be somewhere really peaceful.
0: You want to lay nude in a field and have life take its cycle over you?
7: No, I really wasn't thinking that either. You want the I bugs was- to get you? <laughs> they can. <laughs> That'll be fine.
0: Okay, well, that's, that. that answer is on par for you, I would say um in the kitchen what is your most treasured possession
7: oh my knife yeah this is japanese vegetable knife
0: japanese vegetable knife
7: that's what they call it it's nothing fancy but i mean i really couldn't do much without it after that it's probably like a microplane zester for everything you know i use it for everything
0: love a microplane okay and finally if you were to be reincarnated into a non-living object what would it be a tree non-living
7: oh sorry I thought you meant non-human um, you
0: can't say microplane
7: no. oh what would it be um, maybe a building maybe like an old building
0: what kind of old building are we talking like a, a regular like a home or a skyscraper or an Ikea what is it
7: no 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 I was just imagining like a beautiful old brick building I haven't had chance to really illustrate the whole thing in my head but because I've never been asked that question old
0: brick building like a nice little east village brownstone
7: yeah okay that sounds good. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for doing this. People can, uh, can find your book at home in the whole food kitchen. I'm sure it's available everywhere. You can find a good cookbook. And if people wanted to follow you uh, on Instagram or online, where would they find you at?
7: Amychaplin.com and Instagram's Amy Chaplin.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much for doing this. Please uh, introduce yourself and uh, how people might know you in particular of the food
8: world. Uh, well, my name is Elliot Foos. I'm a barista, coffee professional, uh, most notably in the recent past uh, for Café Integral in New York City.
0: Integral, yeah. And full disclosure, I'm already friends with Elliot. He's very knowledgeable in the coffee game. And we'll see how that palate plays out today in the food world. What is one single bite of food that makes you the happiest? Chocolate. Chocolate? What kind of chocolate specifically?
8: I I love a good dark chocolate, something interesting. But I'm also a big head for like Kit Kat bars. On a nice hot summer day, a melty Kit Kat bar, there's nothing like it.
0: You like a melted one? Yeah,
8: yeah. You like I deconstruct it in my mouth, kind of like it doesn't it doesn't turn people on the way like a, tying a cherry stem would.
0: Oh, so you, so you take a melted Kit Kat and you're able to let that chocolate and you and you kind of scrape the chocolate off and then you could produce a fully cleaned wafer bar out of your mouth like like when a cartoon cat eats a fish and the bone comes out
8: correct uh it should be noted that i have yet to try it with a whole stick but i'm open to it
0: pull up with a stick and try the whole thing baby
8: <laughs> yeah
0: i mean i already knew you were a monster but now a new level of monsterism is being created today okay elliot I don't know if this really applies to you, but maybe it, I'll try to work it into the, through the coffee world. Normally, I've been asking people what is an ingredient that they feel like they've been overusing too much. Is there something that, that translates in the coffee zone?
8: Um, I've been using way too much milk lately. That's not, not true. I think, I think the alternative milk game is getting a little played out. It's just getting really heavy-handed trying to think of like other trends that have been happening that are just like the nitro thing is really i'm over it the nitro cold brew is just like it's a cool it's a cool vibe is it yeah it's an interesting like in-betweener for people kind of getting into coffee and getting into cold brew but i just still think like that can be expanded upon more and done a little bit more creatively day to day
0: that makes sense um Trying to see which, how these would spin into a, into a non-chef person. Oh, I'm sure we can. Okay, Elliot. Say you're showing up to a dinner party. You're cooking for your family. You're cooking for your roommates, whoever it could be, loved
8: ones. What's a dish that they always hope that you make? Ooh. Crowd pleaser. I'm pretty good at throwing together a decent Italian dish. It's classic. It's, it's safe for all intents and purposes. Um, to plug a friend... Your little recipe in your book, uh, String Bean, was nice. I was very into that. Which one? The the Mario's Deli spaghetti or whatever that dish was. You know, just a a nice small plate of decent spaghetti with a nice little side salad. Keep it simple.
0: Are you drawn to some of those simple things where it's a lot of technique-based because of your coffee background? I feel like that's one of my favorite parts about it.
8: Yeah, I agree. I agree with that for sure. Something that, like, I'm really into making something simple... Surprising.
0: Mm, same. Okay. What barista, coffee person, coffee
8: impresario do you uh, look up to or admire the most? Ooh, that's a nice question. Um, Charles Babinski and Kyle Glanville out in LA at G&B, as you're familiar with. Uh, those dudes are very intelligent guys. Um, I, I think I'm really good with experience and service. And so G&B. Go get them that that 's kind of what their whole vibe is they're very experienced focused, which is great. you know that quality is isn 't even the a
0: coffee thought. is shit, but like the service is great
8: no no no. Co- i 'm just kidding the coffee 's very good the coffee 's very good, and that' that 's not even a thought to them i 'm also uh, i 'm not really turning over new stones here, but James Hoffman, who is an Englishman, he is just a really great mind for the game He's, he has an awesome. Mindset about it. I don't know who that is. Check him out. He has a really awesome newsletter that I think is super applicable to anybody interested in the industry of coffee or really service. If
0: you could compare him to the food version of that guy, who who might he be? Or maybe just any other person. Mmm. The Charles Barkley of coffee, something like that.
8: He. <laughs> I think he's that the that dude that uh, owns. Osteria whatever it's called out in uh, I- Italy he's just like a very like clean excitable dude but also very intelligent
0: clean excitable intelligent okay Elliot when you uh, you're gonna die if you have the choice how would you like to die
8: that's funny uh, peacefully in my sleep with family around me or I'm just gonna die of cancer so definitely the former if you could pick a
0: cancer to die from which one would it be ball cancer ball cans. <laughs> That's good. In your coffee, in your,
2: oh, it was just-
0: hi, 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 hi. Oh, okay. In your collection of, of home goods, in your, in your quiver of coffee goods, what is your most treasured possession?
8: Ooh, My hand ground grinder that I showed you that really, it's a beautiful glass grinder. Hand grinder that you grind up and down vertically rather than horizontally across your body. I, pri- I ooh, that thing is a treasure. Give a give a shout out to that brand. Hand ground. I think they're at hand ground on Instagram. They're a really small little company. Only going to get better with with time.
0: Yeah, really smart idea to do that because the hand grinder, like, it's a very kind of cumbersome yeah. motion to do. But then just all you do is just switch it on and its axis, and then suddenly it's very. And I use it myself, and I was like, hey, I could do this all day. Okay, final question, Elliot. If you were to die from ball cancer and reincarnated into a non-living object, what would that be?
8: Ooh, non-living object, a fucking beautiful building. The second person to say that. Something understated, like understated, but really eye-catchy and just like poised. Understated, eye-catchy, poised.
0: That describes you in a nutshell, Elliot. Put a roof on that sentence, and we've—that's a house I wouldn't mind sleeping in.
8: I would love anyone to sleep in me.
0: On that note, Elliot, we are wrapping things up. Thank you so much for doing this. Where can people follow you on Instagram to check out your cool
8: pics? At Elliot Foose, E L L I O T T F O O S. Thanks, baby. Thank you, sir. I love you.
0: Uh, we are here with the God, Nick Morgan. Sir, and say hello. Ice cream God. Ice cream God. We were just talking about Steven. He's—is uh, he a client of yours?
9: He's a stalker at the parlor, and then he popped up here. And I was like, fam, what are you doing here? He's like, I love your ice cream. It's-
0: How many gentlemen
9: callers do you have? There's a, there's a lot, actually. Early in the morning, the milkshakers. It's for real. An early
0: morning milkshaker?
9: It has multiple meanings. In this case, it's someone who comes before 11 a.m. and has milkshakes. Hardcore Dennis, black licorice milkshake. Fire.
0: Black licorice milkshake. Everything about that sounds wrong and bizarre but i also want to try it immediately
9: black licorice ice cream is one of my favorites and turned into a milkshake it is so good but you gotta love black licorice licorice is a polarizing flavor either you love it or you hate it i love it
0: says a lot about a person all right nick we're gonna get into it what bite of food non-ice cream makes you the happiest
9: prince street pizza pepperoni slice
0: boom pepperoni from prince street i think we talked about this before you do a foldy
9: No, I do the grandma slice and I got to have a counter. I don't like eating pizza while I'm walking. I want to be able to enjoy it. And it doesn't take that long to eat, so just sit still already. Preach!
0: (laughs) Okay, ice cream related, what ingredient do you think you might be starting to overuse too much lately?
9: Oh man, it's less so for us right now about overusing an ingredient than it is that we had to back down on the collaborations oversaturated on too many people with their fingers up in my pot
0: much like supreme you are doing too many collabs fam
9: the whole culture is over collabed okay out in these streets you got to focus develop your own identity a little bit more so i got to regroup morgan stearns has strong identity we got thousands of flavors and i have so much fun and so many people want to make flavors but i got to focus it so this year We're much more focused.
0: So I'm assuming when you're doing a collab, it's a little bit easier to rest on your laurels, perhaps.
9: Yeah, and also, I think it's just, it's sort of distracting to the process. So your own process of developing your own stuff, and then you have someone else in there who's kind of like dancing around, that gets distracting to your own process for developing your own brand.
0: Why distill it when you're already uh, the number one man? All right, next question. Say you're showing up to uh, a dinner party, you're cooking for a friend or family person what's your what's your classic dish that they
9: always tell you to bring if i'm traveling with food i'm traveling with ice cream that's my thing you like ice cream it's a trick question i'm not gonna fall into your trap yes i like ice cream jason um let's do
0: ice cream first like out of all your flavors and they want you to bring one what's the one that everyone always asks for
9: no i got 50 flavors on the menu at any given time so like i have to choose. they're always going to say dealer's choice and then i have to choose what i think will best represent for the experience. So if we're having a dinner in Mario Batali's private apartment and I know that there's gonna be nine people, it's like, who's gonna be there? And then, so we always have to have burnt honey vanilla, bourbon vanilla, or Madagascar vanilla. I always have to have a chocolate. The salted chocolate is always the crowd pleaser. Everyone loves that. Then I gotta move through to have some sort of odd flavors like the green tea pistachio, strawberry pistachio pesto is one. We made a whole round of flavors, for example, for Chris Blackwell. Um, of island Def Jam fame, and so he has his own rum called Blackwell Rum, so then I'll make a whole palette just special for him of only rum ice creams all over the map. So it just it depends. I got to tailor it to the audience.
0: Have you ever been in a situation where Batali's like, yo, I'm doing dinner for 10 at the crib, here's the menu, can you do a custom
9: flavor for me on the fly? He never fixes the menu, he presents the menu and then everyone orders a la carte. If it's a fixed menu, like when he and I do an event together, then we collaborate on what it should be. We were in New Orleans doing the Donald Link Foundation benefit dinner and he wanted the dessert to be set on fire. So then we made something equivalent to like a baked Alaska with meringue on the outside, a very large dome, like if you cut a basketball in half like that big, of uh, it was satsuma, orange sorbet, and the ice cream was made with the I'm trying to remember if we used their overproof rum, uh, and and it was an it was an alcohol oriented ice cream, and then we slathered the whole thing in meringue, and then we poured uh, alcohol over the top of that and set it on fire in the dining room. That was crazy. And anytime you set anything on fire in front of people, it ups the salivation level. So people were just going nuts for it. It was fantastic. It was delicious. Really, really
0: good. I could only imagine over the Morgan Stern's career what has been. Your lowest point.
9: Hmm. Where I was like down in the gutter style, consulting for Jeffrey Chattero and Zach Palacio at their quickly uh, defunct... What the hell was that restaurant called? Like Five Borough Foods or something atrocious. It was so bad. And that was before I opened my first place. I was like hustling around and doing all kinds of crazy odd jobs. And you have to do that in New York City. Sometimes it's hard to be employed. And so... Um, I wasn't happy with what I was doing at that point.
0: That's why I love you about you, Nick. You're not afraid to just come out, name names, name places. You're, nobody fucking does that, but that's why you're one of the greats, baby.
9: You can't be afraid. And look, we all know each other, and I wouldn't say anything here that I wouldn't say to someone to their face. I've said it to their face. Some people don't like it. I'm just trying to be real, for real.
0: Same. What, uh, what chef do you admire the most? Can't say Batali. You
9: know, it's hard because he's like... He's such an incredible uh, force. and it, so generous and like that as a as a human being. Um, after that, I'm a huge fan of April Bloomfield. She is a consummate consummate professional under any circumstance. She delivers, exceeds the expectation on quality. She's so kind and she's just a pro. So love working with her. Um, there's but so many. It's really hard to pick one. You know, there's different levels of. How long someone's been in the business and, and what, what they've been able to do, you know. I'm a huge fan of Marco Canora at Hearth, and he just won a Beard Award, and he's been doing it with his head down, working so hard for so many years. He makes some of the best food in the city. I love Marco. So, like, there's so many people that I feel like are doing it so well. I like the the OGs. I mean, Daniel Balud, I worked for Daniel, and, and he's, like, also incredibly talented, you know, so much energy, such charisma, understands how to be a showman, you know. So we're lucky we got all these crazy guys in this business who do it so well. How much of a showman do you think you are, a scale of 1 to 10? I'm learning how to get that up. I, it's important because you got to entertain people. When I'm in my element in my parlor, I'm on, I'm on 11. I'm like kissing babies. I love the baby factor in the parlor. Uh, but when I'm, I'm, for real, because... It, yeah, I got the hat and the kids, you know, you get like a two-year-old who's so kind and polite and knows how to order their ice cream. There's nothing, uh, the, the shop could be on fire. I don't care. It's like the best. When I get a little two-year-old says, may I have vanilla, please? It's the best. Yeah.
0: And that's best. something that not every uh, food purveyor gets to experience. Like you really get to experience experience the baby moment more than almost anyone.
9: Cause, yeah, because they order directly from me. If I'm serving them, I get to have that experience. It's great
0: really love a well-spoken toddler is what we're saying.
9: Yes. 18 months to 24 months is the sweet spot. <laughs> so the good use of a limited vocabulary, fantastic. They know how to say please and thank you and what flavor they want. Take
0: my money. For a guy who doesn't have any kids, you have a oddly specific requirements, and I like that.
9: Yeah. I love kids. Uh, my godson is 16 months right now, and he's the best. Kids are the best.
0: Uh, to uh, probably the exact opposite of what we were just talking about, if it were up to you, how would you like to die? Drown in Madagascar vanilla extract.
9: Drowning would be my worst nightmare.
0: And you're a swimmer, so you probably won't drown.
9: I swim every day, and I went scuba diving this past year, and uh, Christmas just past. And I had never done it before, and I had had no training. I was with some really good friends of mine. They were like, yeah, jump in the water. It's great. And I was with, like, pros on Christmas Day. And I got. Love da- a Christmas scuba, by the way. It was crazy. That was right after I had been surfing with Jimmy Buffett. It was crazy. Yeah, fire. And they're like, get in the water. And like, yo, that was mad scary. Like getting down low in the water, so much pressure, the feeling of not being able to breathe, the feeling of being like severe claustrophobia. So, no, drowning, not. Um, but I think actually probably jumping out of a plane or off of a bridge because that absolute thrill right before you die, that sheer exhilaration and terror, that would be it.
0: Yeah, airplane sounds good, because you got a minute or two of, of some good free fall.
9: A really tall building where you can like see perspective right before you fall, you see buildings flying past you, whatever, that would be really interesting too.
0: I feel like we're only moments away from a Nick turn suicide. Was, you painted that picture just a little too nicely. Um, In your kitchen, or even just your home, what would you consider to be your most treasured possession?
9: I've had the same Japanese chef knife that I purchased when I moved to New York in 2001.
0: Everyone has said knife for the most part.
9: If you have the knife, then that's the answer. Some people don't have the knife, they haven't found it yet. I was lucky, I found mine like 16 years ago and I still have it, it's here right now. And it's a Japanese knife which has a specific technique for sharpening it and... I was taught how to sharpen the knife. I'd had the knife for about a year and a half. And I was, really, I was given instruction on how to sharpen the knife by Nobu himself. It was crazy.
0: Flex bomb.
9: Highlight. So yeah, the knife just has this crazy history. And it's still like, in flawless condition. And it was, it's like the best investment I've ever made in my life because I've had it for so long, and it's still like perfect.
0: I really am noticing the trend. Like Almost every person I've talked to today has said that exact same answer,
9: and it makes sense. It's the most important piece of equipment. You can wing it on a lot of other stuff, but you need a good knife. You just do. You need a good knife.
0: Lastly, Nick, if you were to die and be reincarnated into a non-living object, what do you think it would be?
9: 1972 Datsun 510 station wagon. See, that's good.
0: Everyone everyone I've, I've talked to has been like, uh, that's, I don't or like they'll say Like a weird kind of fake one you, And you go straight to the Datsun wagon I know what I am
9: What color? White It's got dual colored headlights Yellow on the inside White on the outside It's a beautiful thing If you want to check it out It's in my garage in Brooklyn
0: Alright thanks so much Nick I appreciate it as always If people want to find you Go to New York And go to Morgan Stern's Ice Cream Greatest ice cream in the world Obviously And if people want to find Finest Sorry and where can people find you online or on Instagram?
9: Uh, more, it's a, at NYC or it's at Nicholas Morganstern.
0: That's the that's the personal account. For when you want to see the scuba pics, thanks so much, Nick.
9: Got it, bud. Thank you. <laughs>